Charles Spurgeon once said, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. Mental illness is not a new phenomenon. And the same biblical truths that have encouraged Christians for centuries can encourage those who suffer with mental illness today. Mental disorder is defined as a wide range of conditions that affect mood, thinking, and behavior. Most common types of mental disorder are anxiety disorder, clinical depression, and bipolar disorder. So how should we as Christians encourage someone with mental illness? Though we may continue to struggle daily in the bottomless pit of our mind, as Christians, we can encourage someone with mental illness by letting them know that you are not alone, it's not your fault, God sees you and is with you, and God's word speaks to you. If you or anyone needs help, contact walkfanusa.org. That's W-O-C-F-A-N-U-S-A.org. Because you don't have to suffer in silence anymore. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this service coming to you from Lawrenceville, Georgia, World Outreach Church for All Nations. And to those of you that's joining us via the various platforms, we want to welcome you, we thank God for you, and we pray that something that God is going to say this morning is going to bless you, establish you, and yes, bring you wholeness, healing, and total deliverance in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, our vision in this house is building strong families and serving global communities. So again, I want to welcome all of you. Praise God. Uh, I'm going to dive into the message very quickly this morning, but before I do so, I just want you to know I brought my uh, special cheerleader with me. Amen. Over 45 years ago, uh, I attended a school called Government College in Ibadan, Nigeria. And uh, this morning is a pleasant surprise. Uh, my old boy, uh, this, this man was three, four years ahead of me in school, and is here serving, I mean, fellowshipping with us this morning. Professor Akile, it's good to have you. You're most welcome. <laughs> Up orange, amen. <laughs> yeah, we were in the same dormitory, and you know, you, in, in those schools, in those environments back then, you, 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 you form friendships that are almost eternal. It's unbelievable. Now, I've been to university, you've higher institution, but it's never like those secondary school moments in the dormitory. God does something. Amen. And so I'm, I'm so grateful for him to be here. I've not seen this man in 50 years. Yes. Yes. But we thank God for that. But anyway, praise God. This morning, we are going to continue on what we began last week, out of darkness into God's light. Amen. And in particular, we are dealing with mental health disorders. Amen. So this is going to be the second installment in those series of teaching. And I'm just going to warn you, fasten your seatbelt, get ready, as God is going to give us some fantastic information that will help us. But not only us, but equip me and you to be able to help those around us 
who are going through this situation so they know they are not alone in Jesus' name. And as I said last week, a kingdom conversation like no other is coming to us July 25. This is going to be no holds barred with no limitation on how far we can dive into this subject matter. And so I want you to know, prepare your calendar, July 25, Sunday morning, is going to be one of a kind. It's going to be an extended time, an expanded session. So it's not going to be your regular 30-minute kingdom conversation because this is a very, very diverse subject matter. And to the glory of God, we have a person who has been on both sides of this matter as a patient and as a provider. Amen? Amen. So, if I can give that conversation a theme, I will call it from grave to grace. From grave to grace. A personal journey of blank, blank. I won't tell you what blank, blank is. You just have to be here to experience blank, blank. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so this morning, I'm just going to move on. I want to speak to us on the, I want to examine a biblical example of mental disorder. Because when we hear that subject matter, we just think, wow, all the Bible characters are all perfect. Uh, they had no issues. They had no problems. And only, the, only uh, if only we do, we do know some of the things those guys have gone through. So last Sunday, I defined mental illness or mental disorder as a wide range of conditions that affect mood, thinking, and behavior. And then I listed four, or no, I listed three common manifestations of mental illness. Number one, I gave you anxiety disorder, or rather I mentioned anxiety disorder. Secondly, I mentioned clinical depression. And thirdly, I mentioned bipolar disorder. I further gave what I call four encouraging truths regarding this subject matter. Number one, I say you are not alone, and that is important you know that. Number two, I say it's not your fault. Number three, I say God sees you and is with you. And lastly, I say that God speaks to you in and through his promises. And so today I want to look at a biblical example of a person who demonstrated all three common types of mental disorder. Now, in getting there, let me just give the prelude, and that is, last week I said it's not your fault. It isn't your fault that Adam's original sin has thrusted humanity into sin and consequently opened all of us to sickness and disease and all illness emanated from the fall. Before the fall, there was no sickness. Since the fall, we are grappling with all kinds of sickness. For instance, in talking to Lena Jackson, she was just telling me what happened with her, what she went through. How in a span of 18 months, she watched three of her loved ones, beloved, close, very loved ones, pass away. One of them where she was there when the machine was disconnected. So it's one thing for you, and here to, for you and I to hear about somebody dying. It's another thing to be there when they give up the ghost. It's a, it will mark you. Amen? 
because you don't say that every day. In 18 months, three very close people, gone. Amen? Depression or any other kind of mental disorder can be caused by various things. And one of those things is trauma. Trauma. Sickness. Eating wrongly or not just taking care of yourself. Many things can cause it. Amen? Now, even though the fall is not our fault that brought in sickness, I want us to know this morning as we dive into this example that you and I have, uh, what, what can I say? You and I can, can open the door as Israel did, and I'm going to show you the scriptures in a minute, by living and acting in ways that enable sickness of any kind to manifest, including mental illness. Did you hear what I just said? You and I can open the door that allows the enemy to attack us. We need to be aware of that. So let me go to my first scripture. Uh, in Numbers 23, verse 8, in the NLT. Numbers 23, verse 8, in the NLT. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? In other words, as a born-again believer, as a child of God, <laughs> you have entered into the blessing of the kingdom of God because God has translated you and I from the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of his dear son's light. And therefore, we have the protective custody of God. That's what God is saying. Amen? God has not cursed you, he's not condemned you, and therefore no one else has the right to do so or can do so. Give me the same chapter, verse 23. Numbers 23, 23. Look at what the Bible says. No curse can touch Jacob. No magic has any power against Israel. For now it will be said of Jacob, what wonders God has done for Israel. And that's my word to you this morning. It will be said of you, what wonders has God done for you. Amen. The overwhelming never-ending, reckless love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. And yes, God's love encompasses you around. He said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Amen? So like I said earlier, yes, God has blessed us. We are protected. However, I can of my own, either willingly or unwillingly, open a door that allows the enemy to attack me. Give me Numbers 31, verse 16. Numbers 31, verse 16. Glory to God. I am praying for that one person today, that one woman, that one man, that one child who has been under the attack of the enemy, who's in the bottom spirit of darkness. I am saying to you this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are coming out. Amen. Jesus has paid the price for your deliverance and for your salvation and for your wholeness. And in Jesus' name, we stand together in agreement that you are going to be lifted up because love of God lifts us all up. Amen? Numbers 31 verse 16. These are the very ones who followed Balaam's advice and caused the people of Israel to rebel against the Lord at Mount Peor. They are the ones who caused the plague to strike the Lord's people. Let me just give a background on that a little bit. 
Balak, a wicked king, invited this prophet of God to come and curse Israel. And when the prophet got there, he attempted to curse them, but he was restrained. And he finally said, you know what? <laughs> Whoever God has blessed, no one can curse them. But he didn't stop there. He now advised this wicked king and the people of that nation that I cannot curse Israel. I cannot release a curse upon them because they are blessed by God. However, they, the Israelites, can engage in practices or ways that open the door and allow the enemy to attack them. Not God attacking them, the enemy, because they open the door. So here we have the scripture for that. Amen? Peter makes reference to this incident. Give me 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. There we go. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Baal, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. So the idea here is, it's not my fault. Adam's fall and Adam's sin brought a curse upon the entire world. But as a born-again believer, you are excluded from that curse. You are living under the open heaven of God's love and grace. However, you need to be aware there are things or ways of living that attract the enemy and we want to shut those doors in Jesus' name. So now, let's go to this example in the scriptures. Ah, I'm talking about King Saul. King Saul. When you read the story of King Saul, how he became king, in fact, the first king of Israel. First, number one, the first king of Israel. is anointing as king, his reign as king, and the incidents and the things that happened when he, became, when he came to the throne, it's mind-blowing. And then when you read his end, you just have to scratch your head and say, how in the world can this happen? How can a man that was called out from among all of those who are eligible, handsome, head and shoulder above his brethren or his, uh, his, his fellows, anointed as a king, how can a man like that who prophesied by the Spirit of God end up on the last night of his life in the house of the witch at Endor? How do you go from God to witch in a lifetime? How does that happen? How does a man or a woman who loves God dearly, who's been blessed by God, end up in a, on the laps of a witch. Let's look at it. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 10. King Saul provides for me and you a good example of a man suffering from depression. He was a downcast, depressed, a man who was characterized by anxiety and fear. So 1 Samuel chapter 10, in verse 8, and I'm just giving you sketches. There's no way I can give you all the details about this man's life in the time that we have. Amen? First Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. So Samuel tells, he gives Saul instruction after he's uh, anointed him. After he's poured oil on him, anointed him. He, this is his first instruction. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further 
instructions. That was the instruction that was given to Saul. Okay, what did Saul do? Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 13, from verse 7. 1 Samuel 13, verse 7. You can actually give this to me in NKJV. Thank you. And some of the Hebrews crossed over to the, over to the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead as far as Saul. No, as for Saul, he was still in Gigal, and all the people followed him trembling. That's a clue. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Mm. Verse 10, verse 9, verse 9, verse 9. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. I just wonder, why did the prophet delay? Why did he tardy? Why was he tardy? Why? And you and I need to understand that. Because we get the promises of God. We have a word of God. And we, we know what it says. But there is something about the human element. When God does not do what we expect him to do at the time we expect him to do it. What happens? We took over. So the prophet said, Saul, remember I anointed you. I'm the one that placed in this office. Now I'm telling you, wait for me for seven days. And when I come, we're going to do X, Y, Z. He waited. We have to give Saul credit for that. He waited. He must have been looking at this club. Maybe he had an Apple Watch. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> Seven days, expiration. Bam, prophet is not coming. And he took upon the office of the prophet and did what a king in Israel was not supposed to do. But look, I mean, don't miss the reasons for which he did so. Number one, the people were trembling. Number two, they were beginning to scatter. I'm giving you clues. So bring me an offering and peace offerings here to me, and you offer the bond offering. Verse 10. Now it happened. <laughs> Prophet. <laughs> you, th you think he forgot? He didn't forget. He's, he's checking out the intent of your heart. He wants to know your motivation. What is, what is, what is moving you? Why, why are you here? Why are you doing what you're called to do? What is, everybody on the outside can see you. Oh, King Saul, you have the crown on your head. But I want to know the inner workings of your heart. How are we going to know that? A little delay. A little delay. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the bottom for it, which means actually the prophet came on the seventh day, but not at the time he said it was going to come. He came on the seventh day, but not, he, he, maybe he came at 10 a.m. instead of 8 o'clock in the morning. He was there nonetheless. And as soon as Saul finished, that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. Verse 11. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, watch this. Look at the clues. When I saw that the people were scattered from me, child of God, who gave you the people? Who, 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 who does the people belong to to begin with? When I saw that they were scattered from me, Remember Saul, you are the son of Kish that was a nobody. In fact, on the day of his ordination, he was hiding among the goods. Now, he's brought to prime light platform. And he says, when I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Mi'kmaq. Really? 
So the Philistines are now a threat to the kingdom of God? Ah, then I said, the Philippines, Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgad, and I've not made the supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. Thank God for men and women of God that have not lost their voice. They can look at authority. They can look at powers that be and speak truth to power. That is what is lacking in the United States. Excuse me for saying that. But let me say it one more time. <laughs> that is the truth. We need to speak truth to power. You and I, as believers, we should be umpires. The best for today is the Euro Cup finals. England plays Italy. God bless them both in Jesus' name. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but on a serious note, on a serious note, when those two teams come to the field, Italy playing against England, there will be referees and, and line judges or umpires on the field. Those referees and umpires have a preference for who they want to see win the game. They do, they're humans. One of them may like the English team, the other may like the Italian team. But as referees, notice something, they're wearing a different color uniform. They're not wearing the national colors of Italy or England. Neutral is what they say. Because if they're not neutral, they will not be able to call infractions. That's the role of the church. The church of Jesus Christ should not be Democrats or Republicans. We are umpires. When the Democrats mess up, we call them out. When the GOP messes up, we call them out. But if we lie in bed with one or the other, our voice is muted. I'll leave that alone for another day. Verse 13, and someone said to Saul, you have done foolish. Okay, verse 14, verse 14. Time is going. This, this clock, I don't know about this clock. <laughs> we need to do something about this clock. Okay. <laughs> he, said, verse 14. he said, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Can you imagine that? Straight away, this guy's just barely started. Your kingdom cannot continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept the, what the Lord commanded you. Okay, so here again, we're looking at the man who was anointed by God and who, over the course of his life, ended up at the witch. What's happening here? Number one, Saul was tormented by fear. Fear that the people will leave him. Fear that the Philistines will overwhelm them. And you and I know from the scriptures in 1 John 4, 18, that the perfect love of God cast out all fear. Why? Because fear has torment. This is one of the symptoms of anxiety disorder. Fear that is disproportionate, disproportionate to the reality. Fear. And when that fear is left unchecked, it begins as a little fear. And before you know it, you are afraid of everything. It becomes a torment and your life is impaired on a daily living. 
That's where Saul began. You contrast Saul's fear with David's perspective. Give me 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse, verses 10 and 11. 1 Samuel 17, verses 10 and 11. Hallelujah. 1 Samuel 17, verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Notice they were not just afraid. What did the Bible say? Dismayed and, you know what it means to be greatly afraid? Greatly afraid. Torment and sudden. Why was Israel afraid? Because their leader was afraid. He passed that fear down to them. Perhaps by the things he was saying, his body language, his gesticulation, that fear transferred to all the army. And they were afraid. Fear. Let's read on from verse uh, 24 and 32. Same chapter, verse 24 and 32. First Samuel 17, 24. And all the Israel, Israel the all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him, are dreadfully afraid. These are soldiers. That's one thing I can say about this great United States and our men and women in uniform. Many times they are called into situations and places that they don't even like. The commander-in-chief has given instruction to go to this place or that place. They don't agree with the policy. They don't like the policy. But what do they do? What do, they, do? they show up. And they execute their roles perfectly with serious passion. Not so army. They were dreadfully afraid. Verse 32. Okay, so that's it. David, on the other hand, in verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him because of the Philistines. Your servant will go and fight these Philistines. Look at the contrast. This is a young boy. This boy was 17 years old. <laughs> the great adult army of Israel under King Saul were all trembling in fear. But a young lad enters the theater and says to them, Come, peace, chill, no fears, no worry. Don't let your heart fail. I got what it takes. How could David say that? David was confident in his identity as a child of God. My friends, when you don't know who you are, circumstances will define you. Now let's, let's get one thing clear. Is all fear bad? What makes this fear bad? If you and I or a young lady was walking in a dark alley at night, and got attacked in that dark alley, would she go back there the next day? Ah. In that sense, the fear of being attacked would have been a good thing. God gave us that instinct, like a red flag, to help you and I understand that there are certain things that is a no-go, to protect us out of his love. So I'm saying that to say that all fear is not bad. 
But what made this fear of Saul bad is that it was disproportionate to the reality he was faced, it, faced with, especially after God has proven himself. Because before this time, he's had many battles where he's been victorious. He was anointed. His prophet spoke to him. And I'm going to get to that in a, mo in a moment. The things that were spoken over him when he was brought into office, those things should have helped him to keep and stay on track. Number two point, and this is all about all I'm going to do today. First Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. In verse 3. First Samuel 15 verse 3. Now, this is the second instruction that Saul received from Samuel. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. By the way, God is not doing that today. So don't go and pick up an axe and start killing people. Don't say you read that in the Bible and so now you're going to go and destroy the Hutus and the Tutsis and all of that stuff. And the Fulanese and all of No, God is... Did you hear me? God is no longer doing that. <laughs> Praise God. Verses 7 through 9, the same chapter 15, 7 through 9. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. Verse 8, he also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Verse 9, but Saul and the people, don't forget the emphasis, spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Now give me verse 14. Same chapter 15, verse 14. Thank you. But Samuel said, so now after he's done this, he's come back and Samuel came to meet him. And he's given someone the report of how the battle went and how he has executed everything God told him to do. But Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears? You destroyed everything, really? I'm hearing some, man, man. Where is that coming from? And the lowing of the oxen, which I hear. Wait a minute, I mean, are you serious? Verse 15. And Saul said, oh. They have brought them from the Amalekites. Who's they? Do you see how this guy's passing the buck? This is a leader who should be a leader, and now in a time of tension, is passing the buck. They have brought them from the Amalekites. Look at what it says next. For the people, really? Are you commander in chief for who or what? <laughs> For the people spare the best of the oxen, of the sheep and the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Go on. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, shut up. <laughs> and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. Can you imagine? This guy, I mean, this guy has no clue. He says, speak on. He should be on his knees by this time. I'm begging for mercy. He says, speak on. <laughs> so Samuel said, when you are little in your eyes, Arrogance is kicking in now. Pride. When you are little in your eyes, you are, while you know the head of the tribes of Israel, and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Are you not in charge? 
Now the Lord sends you to other mission. And said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, he's still arguing. This guy is a pocket lawyer. He's still arguing. But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Ah, Samuel, what is wrong with you? Don't you understand? <laughs> And gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agar, king of Amalek. Amalek have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, again, it's passing the buck, sheep and oxen and the best of the things which will have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Let me just stop there. So, so Saul, now this is really where this connects to us now. Remember, he was anointed. Fear is dominating him. And in this second instruction, we see that fear now escalating. Okay? Saul was more concerned with winning the popularity contest than God's approval. He's more concerned on the outlook of how those around him will feel about him. Ah, okay? Let's break it down. There's a new study that sheds light on links between mental health and social media use. What's the big thing on social media? Follows. How many people like you? How many people follow you? Amen? Tens of millions of Americans are hopelessly addicted to their electronic devices. Not just addicted, hopelessly. You wake up in the middle of the night to go use the restroom. The first thing you pick up, that device, as if you need a GPS to get to the toilet. <laughs> and then while you're sitting on the loo, you wonder perhaps some information may have passed around that you, didn't, that you missed. So you quickly go to your favorite platform. And a low experience that should take one minute, you're done it for 25 minutes. You're not looing this time, you're facing. <laughs> you can literally isolate yourself now in a bubble thanks to our technology. Social media has taken us from the information age to the disinformation age. It takes over our kids' sense of self-worth and identity. Watch this. Suicide has become the second leading cause of death among Americans ages 15 to 24. Can you imagine that? And these numbers began to escalate after 2011, when the use of social media came into full focus. And it becomes almost a sin or an aberration or an abomination if your child is in middle school and does not have a cell phone. 
I know as a parent, the battles you are fighting, what is the appropriate age to get them that device? All you have to do is just go to any restaurant on any given day where there are parents and children or family members sitting at the table and watch the dynamics. The younger people, their face is buried, not in mashed potatoes. <laughs> Their faces are buried in those devices. And conversations are going on. They are in a bubble, in a life of their own. And this suicide rate is rising higher among blacks and Hispanics. The U.S. hospital admissions for non-fatal self-harm gave us these statistics that in girls ages 10 to 14, this admissions has gone up 147%. And in ages 15 through 19, these hospital admissions have gone up 62%. Suicide is among, is up 70% in ages 15 to 19. While among preteen kids, the rate is 151%. And this pattern points to the social media, according to CDC. This is not coming from me. The CDC is giving us this record. This is what social media is doing to our children. And to some of us adults. Because when we feel that we are not connected, and we feel that we are not liked by those who want to like us. When we feel like King Saul feels that, hey, if I don't do this, I'll lose friendship here or I'll lose popularity here. These things feed into themselves and impairs what, the way you think, what you think about, how you think about it, and the actions you take. Why? Because you want to correct that notion. Saul was trying to be hip among his people, so to speak. He was trying to connect with them. He was trying to say, okay, I'm, I'm one of you guys. Hey, listen, yeah, I, I want to be liked. I want you to like me. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with being liked. But let it be God doing not something that you do on your own by your self-effort to try to destroy yourself. That's the difference. Amen? I want to encourage everyone under the sound of my voice. You need to subscribe or watch this documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix. It's free. One hour, 34 seconds. Power-packed information that blew my... I watched it three times. Three times. The Social Dilemma. Dilemma spelled D-I-L-E-M-M-A. Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix. Everybody ought to watch it. In your grace groups, make it a, an appointment. Watch it together and talk about it. Listen, technology, social media is a wonderful, powerful tool. But when it takes over your life and you become addicted to it, you become a slave to your, it's become your master. What was intended to be a tool has become master over you. That's not the intention. Now, let me leave Saul alone for a minute because of time. I have a few more things to say about Saul, but let's, let's just go very quickly to some of the solutions you have. 
and I'll pick up Saul next Sunday. Let's pick up some of the solutions we have. If you or anyone you know is suffering in this bottomless pit right now, what do you do? How do you overcome this fear that is totally, completely taking over your life, that's debilitating you, where you're not able to function? What do you do? First thing I want to suggest to you is you repent from believing a lie. What do I mean by repent? Because that word repent is such a huge word in religious circles. We are not talking about sack clock and ashes. No. Repent, according to God, simply means change your mind. Change what you believe about what you believe. Change. Change your mind. Align your mind with what God has said about this situation. Change your mind. Repent from believing a lie. What lies? What lies have we believed? Lies about God. God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. God does not see what's going on. He doesn't know what's happening. Oh, God is not hip. Oh, God is not dope. We believe a lie about God. We forget everything God says about us. And then we believe a lie about ourselves. Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. That's why I don't have friends. That's why this is happening. That's why that's not happening. I've, I'm 22 years old. I've not had my first date. I'm this and that. I can't get a job. I'm qualified. Nobody's interviewing me. On and on and on and on. We believe a lie about God. We believe a lie about ourselves. And we believe a lie about others. Ah, Lee don't like me because. Who told you so? Did Lee tell you that? That he doesn't like you because? No. Something happened and you believe that lie. You believe that lie. A lie about God, about yourself, and about others. And if you don't repent of that, that lie will fester, continue to develop, and will take you to places you had no idea. It will take you to destinations you didn't plan to go. So that's number one. Repent from believing a lie. Now, second thing I want to leave us with is remember and focus on God's love. Let me read one scripture, Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6 in a message translation. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6 in a message translation. Thank you. Ephesians chapter 1, thank you very much. Look at what God says. How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. Do I have an amen here? Amen, praise God. He is the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Hallelujah, glory to God. Remind yourself of this. He settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole. Did you hear that? To be made whole, not broken. To be made whole and holy by his love. Let me just stop right there. Let me stop right there. Let me stop right there. 
I mentioned to you last week that I got into this message as a personal journey because of what happened in my own family with the Olayeye family. He's my cousin. With Kenny Olayeye in particular, the very sudden and tragic way in which he left us, left us scratching our heads and asking questions, what, why, when, how? In fact, I was going to have a kingdom conversation on this issue with small Olayeye. That's how this whole thing started. And we talked about it, talked about it, talked about it. And then he finally said to me, he said, Pastor, maybe you need to do a message on it first. I said, ha, ah, I never thought about it. That's how this was born. But I'm saying it to say, remembering God's love. In those first days, when Kenny passed, Asma was trying to grapple with this truth and say, man, she's no longer here. And trying to find a manifestation of the love of God. God, what do I do? I have young kids here in Atlanta. I have a job in Nigeria. I can't shuttle both places because these kids are still young. They need my attention. What do I do? And with that solicitation, the chairman of his employment in Nigeria was with us. And without Small asking him anything, and without him knowing what Small is saying, voluntary put an offer on the table. He said, Small, I understand that this is a very difficult time for you. Don't worry about your work or your job. Take a year off with full pay while God tries to sort this out. You do not understand what that means. For a man who was trying to find out what happened, how, what, how, what do I do with my children? How do I keep my job? So that just removed one stress level. Psst, just like that. Off the table, no more stress. You have one year. And as the year was about to expire, it's now wondering what happens. November, 2020, one year expires. What do I do? This God. <laughs> this Jehovah, whose name is love. <laughs> whose name is agape. This Jehovah that has promised that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hey, this God. He shows up again. Without solicitation, without any petition or any asking. The job said to him, by the way, what's the Russian coming back to Lagos? You can work remotely for as long as it takes. Sit in Atlanta and do whatever you need to do. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> My friends, I did not read this in Ebony magazine yeah. or in Newsweek or in Time magazine. I didn't hear it on CNN or Fox News. It played out before my very eyes. Stop believing a lie. Embrace the love of God and watch the manifestation of that love lift you up out of that bottomless pit of darkness and bring you into his marvelous life. And so I want us to do that song. 
no longer slaves to fear. Hallelujah. And as we minister that song this morning, I want you to understand that every Goliath of fear you're fighting, whether in your body, whether in your mind, in your home, on your jobs, wherever that battlefield is, God has delivered you and I from the bondage of fear. And his love lifts us up to the glory of God. Jesus name.